0: Hey everybody, it's Todd Nowak. Welcome to the Guitar Knobs. This is a precursor to the episode that we're about to listen to right now. We had such a fantastic time with Black Stars Ian Robinson, who's going to just share an awful lot of fantastic information about Black Star. It was so much that we decided to break it up into two episodes. One, the one that you're about to listen to, is the backstory on blackstar this is a brand that we are very familiar with yet not very familiar with and we're going to try to change that so ian's going to share where blackstar came from how it came to be and why it matters it was very enlightening and i think we all uh, have a new appreciation for blackstar at least here at the guitar knob so we hope you do too at the end of this we will be releasing part two Uh, The week after this one So be looking for that Without further ado Here is part one Of interview with Ian Robinson Of Blackstar Hey welcome to Guitar Knobs The guitars, gear, noise and nonsense Podcast hosted today By these knobs Tony Dudzik, Picardian (laughs) Billy Spitfire, Billy Spitfire Unlimited. Hey everybody, it's me Todd Afec. welcome to the Guitar Knobs Podcast. We are thrilled Ooh. to death that you are listening to our show, The Guitar so Knobs, sorry. where we delve into the fantastic world of gas, which is guitar
1: acquisition, acquisition syndrome.
0: syndrome just so everybody knows. I'm
1: so
2: excited.
0: And all things that we get all excited about with guitars and gear and the world that we love to be in. Uh, We have an extremely fantastic episode for you. Uh, We are going to learn all about a certain something. Which we will uh, introduce in in just a little bit. Bear with us. Bear with us because this caller is coming from the UK and we want to be, we have to be cognizant of his time. He's got uh, a lot of things going on and uh, so we'll dip into that in a second.
2: And the phone rings
0: differently there too. Sorry to keep you waiting. But in the meantime, we need to say thank you to... Rose. the thx thing you know the at the <laughs> mid beginning of the movies <laughs> uh yeah we need think. spilled my popcorn though. yeah <laughs> we need to thank uh, road mics for providing our audio equipment uh they've Woo! been very kind to us and uh um, what about that roadcaster pro uh, yep it's pretty sweet does the thing we needed to do tell you what uh we have so much to talk about that we're like we're gonna kind of like Usually we chew the fat, hem the ha, and all that business at the beginning. But we're going to get right into we're what's going on. We're trimming the fat. We're trimming it. What's going on in our music world this week, um, it was certainly full for a lot
2: of us. So, Tony, go ahead. All right, Todd. Well, this week I was perusing the latest issue of Vintage Guitar Magazine in one of the articles... Uh, is about the acrylic BC Rich Warlocks and the other BC Rich line. All I tell acrylics. you what, I almost gotten that from <laughs> Music Go Round uh, a couple
0: a couple of months ago. There was a, a, a like a the orange one, I think.
2: Well, yeah. So they they, they the focus is of course on the BC Rich offerings, and like uh, I think those came out in 2000. But they also did a really nice recap of some of the other acrylic or plexiglass guitars. Oh, that's cool, including the Dan Armstrong. And the Univoxes yeah. and a couple of others. That was was that actually the first one? I know that Fender did one as well. Well, I think the, over the from years Skunk. there were like for like NAM shows and trade shows, uh, companies would often put together you know a clear or you know something like I, I rem- that. I remember the first time I saw that because it was uh,
0: it was from What's Happening, and it was when um, the guys met up with the Doobie Brothers. And and Raj famously said, My name's Raj. Which doobie you be? (laughs) He said, It was great. Anyways, but I remember seeing. Is that when they jumped
2: the Doobie Brothers? Yeah.
0: That's when they got uh, Skunk Baxter, who was the famous handlebar mustachioed and beret wearing (laughs) bass player. And I remember that was the first time I think I ever saw a clear bass. Yes. And I was like, Whoa, what's that?
2: And I I mean, I was a kid, you know, so. I know. Uh. Go ahead. So well, I anyhow, to, <laughs> I, what I found uh, interesting, and I actually learned a couple of things, uh, is the uh, when they were talking a little bit about the Dan Armstrong uh, clear plexi ones. I had um, to play one of those in
1: pep band in college. Ooh, oh, they're the heavy. Bass,
2: the bass. They're yeah, heavy, blah, heavy, blah, blah, heavy. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but um, Dan Armstrong was a New York City-based uh, builder, Yeah, and his assistant was Matt Umanoff. Now Matt Umanoff now has a really great uh, guitar shop in New York City area. And I you know the, the pickups were uh, wound by Bill Lawrence. And it's just like all of these like like the perfect storm came together yeah. for these things. And sadly I think the, the what what really killed them was the weight. I mean in in the, the BC Rich. Oh, it took the, forever to get him. No? <laughs> <laughs> Not that weight. Oh, no. Not that weight. Not that weight. Like that, Billy? It's spelled slightly uh, different. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, the <laughs> those guitars and then I think you know, even these B C Riches like, because of, what, the size what, what of the How of much the weight are we talking about, Tony? Uh I would say easily fifteen to eighteen pounds. What? Yeah, it's like your worst nightmare, Les Paul. Wow. I mean, I'm I'm a ten pounder is kind of like doing me, in. yeah, so. they're 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 hefty. Wow. and I would think the BC Riches are probably even heavier because the bodies are bigger. Um, but uh, but anyhow, I, this is kind of a, a nice trip down memory lane and in the world of clear and and sometimes color acrylic. Well, you can see flexing. where it looks like they're trying to alleviate some of the weight on that last one. Yeah, there. a little bit, a little bit. I'm pointing
0: at an image that nobody yes. can see. What yes. is that model?
2: That is a uh, Renaissance. Uh, acrylic guitar, yes, Renaissance. Okay. They basically scooped out the whole butt end of what looks to be
0: like a yeah. a Thunder's, you know, like a double cut. So it's yeah. like a really
1: heavy Parker Fly.
2: Hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyhow, that's what it did. So grab your uh, vintage guitar magazine, the one Love with that. GA20 on the cover. All right. That sounds fun. Billy, how about yourself?
1: Well, hey, um, you know, I... Uh, as you know, I've been diving into the art world, taking classes at the local cultural arts center, and one day they discovered that I... Uh, he they says found taking out-
0: classes. He has over 100 paintings he's already done, so it's yeah. not like you just like picked up a crayon yesterday, dude.
1: All right, well, okay. It's 200, and it's only happened in the last <laughs> oh, couple see, years, uh, so, I you see. know, whatever. <laughs> Anyway, uh, they found out I was a musician, so they said, hey, how would you like to do a Conversations and Coffee? So I'm oh, going to play, cool. I'm going to present some paintings and sing some songs that go hand-in-hand hand with the paintings, and to do that, I'm going to use my Hollow body Rockabilly X160 from Guild. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a Korean-made one you know, from the, I don't know, 90s, 2000s. And um, um, so I was pulling that thing out, and uh, I love that thing. It just, you know, it's, it's loud enough you can strum it in the living room and, and, and be able to accompany yourself while you're practicing, but you can plug it into anything, and it just sounds amazing. It's a, it's a handsome guitar, too. Ooh, mine's blue.
2: What about uh, you, Todd?: mm. Well,
0: I had the uh,
1: so, Oh, I know what Todd's doing. What? No, Talk
0: not that. It. Not okay, that. <laughs> Silly. That's for the next oh, one. That's for the next one. But I so I've mentioned my daughter uh, has, has done base things in, in the past, and uh, has used the, the now-famous stinky. The bass called Stinky, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, I think it's a, if I recall crazy, it's an '82 um, PV. PV Fury, uh, which is the 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 old version of the the PV logo and uh, the script writing and everything is, and it's I've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, the thing is with that bass, the neck is is quite narrow. Even more than a than a jazz bass, I mean, it's uh, it's like maybe an inch and a half. It's not even. I don't even know if it's that. I mean, at the nut, it is really narrow. It's, like it's dan- three
2: quarters of an inch.
0: Is it? No, it could be. It's almost like a violin, man. No, it's wider. <laughs> than um, that. It isn't that much. I mean, honestly, it's really, really narrow. But um, and and f- f- some people can find that very comfortable, right? Um, but the thing is my my daughter who's uh, quite tall also has quite long phalanges her fingers are very long and i watched i was watching her play and and it she was she was having to compensate in a really odd way to get allow her like their actual finger pads to hit the strings and i said you know self we need to sort this out self so um not to give because I like being surprisey and stuff. I I said, hey, why don't you? I got to run some errands. Why don't you come with me? Oh, by the way, we got to stop in to Music Around because I got a there's a there's a pedal that just popped up that uh, I traded that I want to grab. And uh, she said, oh yeah, that'll be fun. We go down there and. um I, I, I did this big thing. It was, I was looking in the cabinet, and I was all upset because it wasn't there. And then I said, let's look at it again. And can, can you see if there's, you know, maybe it's in here. And I was so upset because somebody got it. And then she said, well, Dad, I'm sorry. And I said, um, well, why don't we just go get that bass that I was going to get for you anyways? <laughs> and she's like, what? <laughs> so we went over, and we played a bunch of the basses and stuff. And uh, we picked out we picked out the one that made sense. And uh, and then she said, what "Wait, so what about your pedal?" And I said, "Sweetheart, that was just a big ruse. I just wanted to <laughs> surprise you." And so she got her very first guitar. And nice. It's, it's, uh, it's a Squire P bass, nice. and it's it's solid. It's, it's it's perfect for what she needs.
1: Yeah. And you can't um, beat a P bass. You can't. Beat I
0: mean, it. it's great, and it's in fantastic condition. Uh, it didn't. It was like it was totally affordable. Uh, but I said, you know what we need to do, and guess who we saw there? Steve. <laughs> of course, Steve. We saw Steve, who was on the show for our guild. Uh, That's right. Uh, no, Gretch. Gretch. Gretsch. Yes, for the Gretch episode. Yes. Um, and so I said, you know what we need to do, and I and I looked at him. and He goes, you need a you need a good you need a, 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 a Proper custom pick guard on that. <laughs> so what we're going to, and, and Jane was really excited about that. And so she's going to go down there and Tony's going to show her the materials and we'll figure out which one looks best on it. But, and then she goes, now I got to name it. And I said, well, that's immediately she's like, this is my thing. And I was like, that made me so happy. <laughs> yeah. um, nice. Anyway, so that happened that's cool. and it was really fun. And she's so excited about it. And she was playing it for hours when she got it back, which is great. That's what you want to do, you know? No use playing something if you don't feel good playing it. All right, we have a very special guest on the and when I say special, I mean very special guest on
3: the line. <laughs> special guest, who are you? I'm Ian Robinson from Blackstar in the UK, based in Northampton town. Alright.
0: Nice. How are you? We are well. I think we might be doing a little better than you are. I mean, a little. You might be doing a little better than we are.
3: I, I'm very pleased because England have just uh, just this moment qualified for the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, congrats. Uh, thank you. We're just about to. Uh, in a week's time, we're going to meet. Our great adversary is the French, so we're going to be playing France. <laughs> well, just yeah. re-
2: just remember who tied you nil <laughs> nil. <laughs>
3: hey, honestly, you were you were great. You were absolutely great. You were the best team we've played. I think. Yeah.
2: Well, it was all yeah. due to Tony. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> you might have seen me out there on the on the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so as we mentioned, everybody.
0: Uh, Ian, who is uh, managing director at Blackstar Amps, and has so much contributed to the entire world of Blackstar as we may or as we will talk about may not know about. So, yes, um, Ian, it is a pleasure and an honor to have you here. And aside from learning more about Blackstar Amps, we've got two really fantastic products that we're going to be addressing squarely yum yes indeed and that is the saint james line of amplifiers as well Mm. as a very very interesting and special product that is called the
1: billy the amped one or the amped one which is it
3: Uh I think it's the Amped one, but it is an amp pedal, so that's where it came from. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, See, there you go. Yeah. So, so we, we were doing a, a little I'm amped a, up about it. Yeah. We Very were good. doing a little social thing, and and Billy was doing the uh, uh, unboxing, and he goes, it's the Amped one. And Tony and I both said, no, 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 it's the Amped one. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, but it's an amp pedal. And I'm like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. more about that to come. Clever. Um Please, uh, if you have a chance, go to Blackstar Amps online and 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 see get yourself some familiar with the St. James line and the Amped One. We'll just we'll just go with Amped One for the for the podcast. <laughs> and if people choose to say tomato tomato later, that's fine. <laughs> um so w- one thing that I think is really I, at the top of my list to discuss with Ian as, aside from these amazing products, is, and we've been talking about this behind the scenes with him and his team, is that we have, we have the opportunity to talk directly to, you know a, one of the key creators of the Black Star brand and all the offerings, who has yeah. a storied background that we're going to dig into. And before we do that, I just kind of want to address something like right out of the gate, if you don't mind, Ian. Mm. So our internal team here and, uh, and your internal team, we discussed that Blackstar Amps is one of those uh, uh, amps or brands, I should say brands, that it just, it just it wasn't there, and then it seemed to be here. And it, because most of the amps that we're um, familiar with have kind of always been there, yeah. People tend to be skeptical of, oh, a, a spaceship landed and here's this thing, you know. So there, there's there's a sceptibility, sceptical sceptical ability. Yeah. We that? come in Skepti- peace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Skeptisiality. Skep- I don't know. Thank you, Billy. That's uh. exactly the word. Um, <laughs> especially in a landscape that has storied titans of of audio
3: mm. and, and, and music it's really ironic that you know we as a team and as a, as a company we are so unbelievably passionate about what we do but I think we get dismissed far too easily especially in the states you know by people you know I don't know it's easy for them to just dismiss us for some reason because it it's uh they don't really understand the story and the history exactly. of the, you know the, the expertise that we have because we have a lot and it's uh not just me i've got a great i've got a great team well i remember
0: going in i think the first first time i saw it i i think i was nosing around guitar center and i was like what's this and i was like that's cool black star sounds really cool what is it what why what does it sound like because instantly i said i looked and i said marshall fender fox well, where does this fit, right? And I, I'm yeah. I'm simplifying for purpose of conversation, but when I was initially talking with one of your team members, Ollie, uh, who's been fantastic, by the way, your whole team's been great, I was really excited because I was like, this is something we don't know a lot about. We we're very enamored with the backstory, whether it's Joe Garage Builder, who's got three pedals out, or Blackstar Amps. So with that big setup, in an effort to give some element of emotional connection and signature to understand what what does Blackstar mean to us as guitar players in our guitar world. Uh, could you shed some light on, on the backstory
3: of Blackstar and as well as yourself? I certainly can. I know all about this because it's kind of a it's my, uh, what can I say? My specialist subject is myself and Blackstar. I've got <laughs> quite a lot to do with it and I've been there since the beginning. So it's kind of a long story. But I think the first thing to say is that um, thank you very much for having us on. Uh, and it is really important for us to to get out and be able to kind of tell the story. So Blackstar, as you probably know, was f- we started in 2004. So that's a long time ago now. Now, now it is. Eight, 18 years ago, yeah. But um, uh-huh. yeah, no, crazy. We didn't start making products till 2007 because we had like three years where we basically, there was four of us and we had no money. So we, we spent four years in my garage at the bottom of my uh, garden, uh, having left Marshall. So I'll go, I'll talk about that. But the, we, we kind of spent three years um doing technical research and research into every kind of element, especially a valve amp, a valve amp design in those days. And um, it was a really special time for us. But uh, So there was a little gap between us leaving Marshall in 2004 and us getting into market in 2007. But um, our background was um, we were all worked at Marshall, and I, I played guitar since I was... 12 i think so it's a fucking long time ago part of my French it was a real long time ago and uh, it's okay real when when english people
0: cuss it's not like
3: real cussing no, <laughs> no it, really isn't. it really isn't especially if you're from manchester in england then it's kind of a you know it's actually i wouldn't say compulsory but it's just part of our it's a part of our um dialect yes yeah. even the vicar's you know. cuss they absolutely do <laughs> I, yeah i'll tr- i'll try and be careful but um so so yeah, so I've been playing since I was about 12 and it was my, still is my absolute passion. And my absolute passion was why, how to get a great guitar sound. And, you know, I was brought, my brother was 10 years older than me and he was in a band and he was oh, fanatical about guitar sound. And this is, so we were in Manchester, but we listened to a lot of American music so we listened to a lot of British rock. So say Judas Priest, uh Death Leopard, Early Death Leopard, uh, Free, Bad Company, Black Sabbath. That's So I was listening to that when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. That was what was in the house, Led Zepp, all this stuff. And then as I went through my, my – I used to sort of roadie for my brother when I was 13 or 14. And it was like we used to go around – Uh, the guitar stores in Manchester, which is a you know big sort of industrial town in the north of England. Don't know if you can know you probably know about a few bands who came from that. Very familiar. (laughs) Yeah, and um we used to go around these stores and try every single amp with every single guitar. And it was all the usual stuff, but mostly uh mostly Marshalls and Laney's, maybe, because we were after a rock sound. And we were invariably really disappointed with what we got in terms of a in terms of a sound. So, and then I went into the studios helping my brother do um, do demos and stuff when I was again as, as a teenager. And I suppose I developed this sort of fanatical interest in trying to get the sounds that I was hearing on records, which really were very very difficult to get out of out of the products. So um, that was the start of my interest, and I um, I did. I did electronics at university in Salford, which is uh, like a conurbation, in Manchester. It's two cities almost like joined together. Quick, quick did, note
0: about Salford: the only thing I know about Salford is I used to have a poster of the Smiths, and they were standing in front of this thing that's called the Salford Lads Club. And I actually, right. I actually made a screen print of it because I was like, "This is really cool." Mate, absolutely
3: brilliant, mate. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And I believe, I believe. That. I got not I might get killed it because I'm a I'm a big Man United fan, but I believe the ground is technically in Salford, not in Manchester so People tell me, <laughs> so that's another another little bit of a trivia for us. But um, so yeah, it was um, I went to I went to university, and uh, the only reason I did electronics was because I wanted to design guitar amplifiers. I had no other reason because I, I I didn't really I was never that good at electronics. To be honest, I was fanatically uh, sort of passionate about finding out why aren't sound the way they do. But I I wasn't fanatical about electronics as such. But um, so I did four years. I did like an audio course, and then I did just standard electronics or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Salford. And then at the this is where it kind of gets interesting, is that at the end of that period, which was 1996, a fucking long time ago again, half my life ago, uh, I was passing the notice board, and I saw an advert for um, – for for um, design junior design technician or something at Marshall Amplification, uh, and uh, you know honestly, Marshall had never ever advertised for graduates until that month, and the the adverts on I think I've said this before the adverts on the job board at the university was like. British Antarctic Survey require technician to live in the Antarctic, or it was like, it was like honestly, it was like uh, international vacuum clean manufacturer requires microprocessor engineer to design, and it was just the worst jobs in the world. And then one day, so I, I didn't really have any hope of getting anything decent. And then one day, I just walked past the um, I walked past the board, and there it was. So I I I, I applied for the job. And I'd already done some like music stuff. So I've been building some pedals, I've been building some preamps. I went to get my interview. And then I was interviewed by Bruce Keir, who became Blackstar's technical director. So he was the chief engineer at Marshall for about 12 or 15 years, something like that. And and this guy, there's a lot of bullshit spoken in our industry about people who are gurus and all that. He hated that term. He was just the best engineer I've ever met. And he he interviewed me, and uh, I had two interviews. And for whatever reason, he liked he liked me. We got on. I was off. I think they employed me because not because I was a great engineer, but because I played guitar in a certain style, which was quite modern in those days. So I was kind of this was sort of mid '90s. So I was really into Alice in Chains and sort oh, yeah. of heavy heavy riffing, you know, and a great sound. So when, because part of the interview was going in the sound room and playing some stuff, and I don't think anybody really in the design team was playing that kind of stuff at the time, so that was part of the reason they got they got me in because they knew that. I, and I, i been playing JSM eight hundred since I was like thirteen. I had a JSM 800 100 watt and a four by twelve in my bedroom as my practice oh amp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> my my brother my brother he was he was a Fantastic guy, he passed away a few years ago, but he was a fantastic guy. He, even though I was his little brother 10 years younger, he used to make me pay my way. So, we bought a a JCMA 100 for 200 pounds, and I paid 100, and he paid 100. He used it for gigs, I used it for he used it for gigs, and I used it for practice at home. So, um, anyway, so Bruce, right? So, this is kind of getting into it. So, Bruce gave me the job at Marshall, and then I, I had an office next door to Bruce for the eight years that we were there. And that was just the most amazing education. So I, I'll, you'll have to stop me at some point because the story, it, it just flows a little bit, but, you know, within, within six months, I don't, my first project was um, the Slash 2555 um, reissue. Wow. So that was kind of my first ever job was, was reissuing um, Slash's amp and meeting him and, going to rehearsals and all this crazy stuff. So I was, you know, extremely fortunate. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's where Quick I started. question on yeah. that.
0: Um, yeah. Do you think that entering into um, an amp that might've had a much higher uh, profile or, or visibility as opposed to like, you know, uh, a, a reissue or, or like some little combo or something like that, did that give you a, a leg up there?
3: Um to, to tell you the so I won't overplay my my part in that. That was a design that I, I kind of just that was the first project management thing. So I kind of went through with the parts list and uh made sure we had all the all the bits and pieces to make it and then I sort of helped to get the you know, fire it up basically and sure. get it bring it to life. And um I remember going into the sound room with Steve Greenrod and him, you know, turning it up to like 12 and just the loudest thing you've ever heard. I mean, sorry, I knew what an amp, an amp sounded like even by that sort of age. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it sounded, sounding really amazing. I mean, I don't know if you know, but it's also got some diode clipping in it, which is something that we get slagged off for, but funnily enough, so is that amp. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I, it actually does a thing, which is quite useful in that it's part of the sound of the slash reissue. is uh, or the original slash amp is that it has some LEDs in it, which, uh, which are part of the sound. That's cool. Which, you know, most overdrive pedals have uh, LEDs in them as well. Which, sure. As so, you know. <laughs> so uh, I think it's important to
0: understand sort of where you started. And obviously, <laughs> you know, you mentioned 70 projects. To me, what that translates into is that by the time you started Black Star, you weren't starting from anywhere near ground zero. No,
3: no, 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 no. No, and to be honest... Um, especially Bruce. So when Bruce started at Marshall, he'd already he he was um born on a BBC uh, radio relay station in um in Singapore, in Malaysia. So he was literally born into literally born into electronics and he used to tell me these stories about how when he was a kid His dad, when he was probably less than ten or around ten, you know, he he wanted an amplifier, and his dad just basically said, "Well, in that corner over there, a load of electronics components, and you're going to build one yourself." And he just, he basically, from a very, very early age, he 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 was around valve electronics. So by the time he came to Marshall, when he was probably in his, I guess because I was 26, I guess he was about 30. 30ish when he started he'd already designed lots of amps and he worked for some small kind of boutique um, companies in the north of England and um, he already had an encyclopedic knowledge of of electronics so the thing with Bruce is that he was um, different than any other electronic designer that I've ever met in so much as he he was completely, I can't really explain this, but you could say fluent in electronics. Mm-hmm. So when I when he used to design a circuit, he would he would not have, he didn't tend to need to have reference circuits. Do you know you or I, if we write a letter, we're fluent by the time we get you know to the end of school, we're pretty fluent in English and and using letters to form sentences and sentences to form paragraphs. Well, Bruce used to be able to just sit there with a blank piece of paper and design pretty much any electronics product. I'm talking not just valve stuff, but he could do all the digital logic. He could design microcontroller circuits. I mean, when he was at Salford, so he went to Salford, he designed um, a digital delay unit just because he wanted to and he thought it would be fun, and that must have been in about 1990, something like that, so probably before Elysis, before... Um, the PV stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mate, and there's a lot of people. And the thing with him is, he was um, absolutely no bull sort of person. And he he really hated. Oh, what can I say? It's, hates a strong word, but he had a real issue with a lot of people in our industry who purport to be experts and purport to be engineers, but they're not really. They they read on the. I mean, nowadays they read on the internet and they they tweak and they tweeze their products. And that's fine and it's great, but Bruce used to have a bit of an issue with that in terms of they don't generally understand exactly what's going on with the electronics. And he used to have this thing about valve amps are not black magic, they're not witchcraft, they're electronic components, which can be understood. And that was kind of, so when I was trained by him, I was so lucky, I I had eight years at Marshall working with him every day. And I could go to him with any question around any audio circuit, whether it's valve, transistor, FET, anything like that. And he knew the bloody answer. It was amazing what he knew. Um, and, yeah, anybody else who who worked with him who was, you know, privileged to work with him will tell you the same thing. He was a bona fide electronics kind of – he'd hate me to say it because he's just not like that, but he was a, he was a genius. And he, he was behind some of the – some of the sort of latter, when we were there, some of the things that made Marshall famous, I think he was behind the scenes with some of the clever stuff. Mm-hmm. So there were more there were more famous engineers at Marshall, but he was the one, the really clever one, who they turned to if they were in trouble sort of thing. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so that was... So our, what happened is we went on this journey at Marshall. It was bloody amazing. And we, we designed lots of products. We... We the four of us, it ended up four of us who founded Blackstar. So it was me and Bruce, Richard and Paul. So me and Bruce, the technical guys and like the listeners. And then Richard was a kind of production engineering person. So really practical builder of things and getting stuff done. And Paul was like more of a a marketing graphics, um, but great, really, really clever guy. And he's still with the business now. Mm -hmm. He's like my business partner. So the four of us, decided to met, to do black star so bear in mind you know bruce had a meeting with with jim marshall every day for eight years and i used to spend you know i spent a lot of time with jim back in the day he was getting older at that time but jim was still very very involved in the business you know i was there when when we did the reissues of the um of the Plexi and me and Bruce did the reissue of the 1974 X, which is the 18 watt. And we built those amps and me and Bruce actually took them to Jim's office and Jim listened to them and said, which of the prototypes he liked. So Jim was still involved in the business in those days. Um, and it was actually through that process, the the process of doing the, the hand-wired products at Marshall when they reissued them was a real big learning experience, which kind of, got paved the way for what we did in the early days at Blackstar. So we'd started this really in-depth research around why valve amps sounded the way they did. And that started at Marshall, and that really was like a true passion for us, understanding properly, technically, why every element of the... How every element of a something that's relatively simple, like um, a Plexi or a, a JCM 800 there's a lot of interactions and there's a lot of things that um, are easy to be overlooked or misunderstood. And then there's some other bits that people say are very, very important and actually don't make that much difference to the sound. Mm. So we spent a lot of time at the end of our Marshall days. And then when we left, we had this three years in our garden shed where we just went into the most insane amount of detail about why guitar amp sound the way they do and how to make a better sounding guitar amp. And it was all driven by an absolute passion for, because we we were also in a band together. So we were recording, we were just trying to get the best sound we possibly could. And um, yeah, but it was all done from a very technical point of view, which I I don't know, sometimes maybe people find that threatening. If if we say, do you know what? It isn't magic and it's actually physics and stuff. And, you know, and it's a scientific approach that can get you understanding and improve the sound then sometimes people don't like that because they want it to be mystic and it isn't mystic actually. It's, uh, it's electronics. So, so there you go. And that was our approach.
0: Gotcha. What was, I guess, your, your intent, your purpose with that?
3: So we were kind of, um, embarked on this journey of, of kind of discovery. So I just try and explain a little bit about the, the level of detail we were going through. So that original, research project was really a lot of it was based around the JCM 800 my 2123 actually which is some exi- exists somewhere but it's like a real frankenstein of a thing and we literally went through every single stage we went through the you know the output transformer the power valves we went and we went through the uh, cathode follower and the tone stack and every single element the power supplies so we did, and what we did is we basically devised tests which isolated each of these elements to, to determine whether they were important to the sound and how much they were affecting the sound mm-hmm. so and we did some crazy things like we used to swap whole output transformers with an ab box which is like really bloody dangerous it used to scare me to death when Bruce used to you you can imagine because that's where all the you know six seven hundred volt stuff is the DC stuff that kills you and so to determine whether uh things like interwine capacitance or um you know inductance or which of the which of the um parameters really made a difference we used to do things like get ridiculously large transformers made by a supplier, and then very small output transformers. We'd measure exactly all the um, we'd measure exactly all the the parameters, and then we would we do AB tests to to listen to which of the parameters is affecting which sound. Because there's a lot of stuff that the theory says will be important, but sometimes in practice it isn't. And actually, that's where we found that was that test in particular. Was one where we found some really interesting stuff that we we do on Blackstar amps that nobody else does. Um, so that was the test that we did at Marshall and then in the garden shed. So we were going through this process of elimination and experimentation. And the the massive thing for us was it was all about benchmarking, A/B testing, something we really were never into as Sonic Memory. So. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I know what a 67 this sounds like and a 73 one of those. And actually, mate, that's not quite often not true. Unless you have an AB box to listen between two circuits, it's very, very difficult for, for people in our experience and certainly for anybody I've ever met to truly be able to remember exactly what a circuit sounds like. You might be able to get a flavor, so any test that we do, and now the number one piece of equipment of Blackstar still is an AB box. So because it's science isn't about, ah, oh, today I woke up and I think it should sound like that, and tomorrow I wake up and think it should sound like that. It's always, we always have a compass of a sonic reference that we're trying to beat or oh, that we're, we're looking towards. But but anyway, mate, the reason why Blackstar was we, we were going through this process and we we really knew we were onto something because... Nobody else in the industry was approaching it like that. So there was a lot of bullshit around. And we knew that every product that we did together as a team, we could beat the benchmark that was out there at the time. So and so we, we knew that. And then unfortunately, there was some, you know, when would it when would it be? There should be sort of about 94, 95. There was some some instability, let us say, at Marshall. So Jim was getting old, um, you know, and maybe things weren't being, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say anything negative about about Marshall in the day, but the t- it wasn't a very secure place to be in terms of our team and what we were trying to achieve. So we had, a, we had a decision to make, which was basically we stay and maybe things would work out that we had to, the team would be broken up, we'd end up maybe having to fire some people even though the company was making loads of money, um, or we go our own way and do our own thing, with only and the only thing we had was a belief in ourselves that we could make better-sounding guitar amplifiers. Nothing else. So, and bear in mind, Bruce was the technical director then. I was the R and D manager. Paul was uh, marketing, sales, marketing director, or whatever you know. So we were very high up in the biggest company in the world for guitar amps at that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And we all said, you know what? We're gonna walk away from that. And none of us had very much money because none of us are rich people. And uh, Paul had just had his first child about like the week that he left. And um, Richard had a young family, Bruce had a young family. And we went out just on a pure belief that we knew we could we could do better than the state of the art in terms of guitar tone and the flexibility that amps could do. And we felt that bit about really understanding why guitar amps sounded the way they do, we we had to complete that. It was like a mission for us, you know? So uh, we went, we left, and we spent three years without any money in a garden shed, finding out more stuff and gradually building up some, you know, new circuits and some new ideas and which eventually became Blackstar, and that's that's why we did it. It was just purely out of self belief, and uh, it worked out okay in the end. Yeah, it <laughs> seems so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I have a question. Yeah. Ian. Uh, yeah. So,
1: who is Blackstar intended for? What what kind of player is art is your target market? Um, you know, is it the uh, high school garage band? Is it the country rocker? Is it the you know, is there some certain sound or some certain audience?
3: Yeah. Do you know this is really interesting? When we first started, the um, the idea was that um, we wanted to be a broad church. So, the tech, the sort of advances that we've made, the innovations that we've made, are applicable to all different genres. Because we came from Marshall, people used to think we were just a rock brand. And we actually spent a lot of time, you know, um, trying to shed that, you know, preconception or whatever, that we're not like that. So, mate, so what we do when we design out, we, we obviously have our own sound. And I think we, you can define, you can define, it's a good word, you, you can describe the, the Blackstone sound as being very well defined so I don't know when you were just playing the amps earlier on, whether you felt that, but you know you could play a big chord with a lot of uh, distortion or harmonics, and you still get a lot of definition in the sound. And that was part of what we were always looking for: was that you know how do you get that? It's kind of a produced sound, but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's kind of it's kind. Of, if you get what I mean, it's about clarity and a big sound with lot. You know, lots of very defined bottom, lots of very defined top, and very balanced across the frequency response. Yeah, and to tell the truth, all, all our products are like that. And so therefore, that is a benefit to anybody. So whether it's, we have some amazing country players, we have some, you know, like super, super silly high game players, we have, we have grungy players, we have loads of people, you know, all different types of genres. And But I think coming back to it, that natural balance frequency response you know that clarity that you get with a black star and the feel it's all about feel so you know i can't play to be honest a confession i'm i'm not a very good guitar player unless i've got a good sound Mm. so i think that's helped us because right from the beginning i was the one who played guitar so bruce was the one who played bass but he was really clever so between us, we kind of, <laughs> so, you know, we'd sit around. And honestly, that's what we used to do. We used to sit in the shed and go, oh, mate, I can't get the amp to do this. And I just wished it to do that. And that would be the way we drove those initial discussions around, you know, how do we, and then we'd go out and find why, why, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a really high gain valve preamp might sound mushy. And doesn't clean up very well. Sometimes some of those those older high gain designs don't clean up very well. So we found different ways around that. But it's all driven very much by by wanting to get the right sound. So mate, coming back to what you asked, is uh, they're for everybody who like who wants a good sound. And I still, wa- mate, I walk around um, trade shows and I hear so many bad sounding guitar amps. I'm afraid. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I do because. There's, no, there's kind of no qualification for being a guitar amp designer. You just need to say, hey, I'm a guitar amp designer, and off you go. But sometimes, you know, there's a little bit more to it to doing it properly. Yeah. And again, I'm sorry, I don't wish to be offensive to anybody. I'm, not, I'm anything other than a snob. And I don't think that
0: sounds snobby. I think that's just you know, like pointing out something that, that everyone's struggling with is like I want to like things but sometimes I can't or I can't figure out how or why am, am I doing it wrong am I playing this amp yeah. wrong do I not know yeah, how Yeah
3: mate this is the thing so right coming back to the you know the whole concept was Marshall Plexi the best sounding rock amp in the world if you know how to use it mm-hmm. you know and if you have the right environment to use it so that's important. I, same with it, you know. The same with the twin. The same with the Vox. You know, with an AC30, it has some amazing sounds. Now we've done a lot of work with um, old AC30s recently. I just the the tone stack in an AC30 is a thing so much in itself, and it has sweet spots, but. Outside the sweet spots, it can be difficult to use. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I so, didn't.
0: I wasn't friends with my Vox. I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> but, and, 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 and that might be one of the reasons is like Tony loves Vox, but yeah. I, I couldn't get my sound, the sound that I wanted to hear, yeah. out of that. Yeah. But but that's the reason that yeah. we need so many different kinds of things. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it, it is. And, and just so. But that kind of, the way that we approach it, which is different to other companies maybe, is that we we understand and respect what Vox do with that tone stack. It's kind of a historic sure, thing, sure. right? So, And it's cool. It's cool and it'll never be beaten for that sound. However, there are things you can do around that tone stack which make it much more usable, right? And so we I think we've always said we kind of um, respect tradition. We respect those old circuits, but we're not slaves to them. So it's almost heretic, you know, our St. James product, on, on our um, channel that's the most Vox-like, we actually fix the mid in the, in the um, and I can describe this, we have a separate mid control, which works properly, rather than the way a, a Vox tone stat works. So you get all the nice jangly stuff out of a Vox circuit, but we put a proper mid-controlling, which is usable. And again, it's just one of those things that we're very much driven by listening, understanding, and then we don't give a shit whether we're doing something that's tradi- you know, some, somehow heretic because we changed the traditional designs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter as long as it sounds better. And we do this by, we have probably 10 guitarists who listen at the company, you know, there's 40 of us, and there's 20 people in R&D who every day uh, are designing and listening to guitar amps. And we listen, and enough people think we've improved something, then we'll use it. And we don't care whether it's generally, we don't care if it's a valve, a transistor, a fet, a diode, a piece of digital software, whatever. We don't care. Yeah. The the thing is about trying to get that sound. So one thing I would say to people who listen to to us is. Um, all our products sound good because we make sure they bloody do, and it doesn't. <laughs> shirt right there. That's a fair, <laughs> <our> <laughs> good. fair statement you know because
1: my, every black my, star we, I've played through is it has a very consistent sound across yeah. all volume ranges and across yeah, yeah, you know all, yeah. all of those tone controls. Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: yeah mate. And, and we um, our amps sound different because they are different. So all our all, all our circuits are different. You know, they're from the bottom up, and it starts with that original. Design philosophy, which was understand, improve where you can. If you can't improve it, leave it as it is, because it's not about us saying, oh, we designed this, we designed this. It's all about getting the right sound for the end user. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why some people maybe don't get on with us and in, in our, our philosophy, because it's kept kind of heretic. You know, it doesn't matter to us what technology is. Uh,
0: on on the note, so you just touch you, you're you're touching on something that Tony is is chomping at the bits to get to. But I I just want to mention, like, it sounds like part of the success of Blackstar is that you you have done away with the idea that you're chained to a legacy product or element mm. of
3: a brand. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that comes from we had, you know, I had eight years at Marshall, Bruce had 14, 15 years at Marshall. And the best thing was every day we could go to the drawing cabinet. And I remember vividly with the drawing cabinet in the drawing office, you'd open that up and there'd be plexes in there, there'd be 1974s in there, there'd be JC Mundreds. And it was such a privilege to work in that environment. However, to do something outside that was a challenge mm-hmm. because there was an expectation whereas for Blackstar you know what and almost heresy uh, well, I imagine yeah and actually mate absolutely yeah and you di- we did find that we had to do things sometimes that were technically not right because if you ch- you know for instance when when we did um, when we did a all valve amp with Marshall it had to be all valve because if we didn't because we were Marshall, we'd be seen to be somehow some some sort of moral and ethical issue. The yeah. fact that we <laughs> might we might use a transistor. Honestly, people get so passionate about that. And Marshall was scared. I'm honestly, to yeah. be honest with you, scared because people would say, "Well, you're not Marshall anymore if you use a you know like JCM JCM 900s had some op amps in them." And the reason JCM 900 sounded the way they did was nothing to do with the fact it had op amps in it. It was the, it, I know the story about JCM 900s. They sounded the way they did because of other things. There's so, um, so, so when we left, we weren't, you know, one of the main things was to not be bound by that sort of tradition. And again, it's not because we wanted to be different, because that'd be bullshit. We're not doing it to be different because a lot of Valve, a lot of Valve amp designs go, oh, well, I tweak this to this and I tweak that to that. So it's my design. I'm different. It's not like that. The reason we did it was because, we want, we want it to understand. And then if something could be improved, we would. And if it couldn't, we left it alone. Mm-hmm. And we still got, you know, some of our circuits, you'll see stuff in there that's really familiar, and it goes back to, you know, Leo Fender's original t- designs, you know, and which probably went back to radio application manuals before him. Some of the stuff's just basic electronics. And some of the stuff's really, really different because we think we've found better ways of doing stuff that sounds better or more reliable, and if we, if we think it's better and more reliable then we do it because uh there's nobody there to tell us not to yeah <laughs> if you go to me yeah
2: yeah Yeah. alright tony go ahead so ian oh. uh, you have uh, in your product lineup it seems like a maybe even a 50-50 mix between solid state and tube um mm-hmm. do you find that more and more players are being uh are more open to solid state amplification
3: yeah i think so i think especially um High-end digital is, is very much accepted now, I think. So um, when we started, even when we started, um, digital was seen as kind of cheap and flexible. And now, actually, good high-end digital products are seen as some of the best sounding, most practical products around so I think that's really, really changed, and the, the standard of digital products has really, really improved over the last decade. Um, however, there is definitely still a place for for valve products, and I think some, sometimes the the technology requires you to simplify things because to do very, very complicated things in all valve or valve technology is just gets just gets impractical Mm -hmm. so it makes you simplify things and i think that's why people still like valve tones because um the circuit um the signal path tends to be more simple so therefore it sounds more open sometimes and you could say you know and more dynamic because it is valves are extremely dynamic you know in terms of headroom and in terms of um impulse response are extremely dynamic devices so in terms of the, how quick the signal gets from your pick, your pick to the speaker, you can't get much quicker than what happens in a valve amp because it's basically all around about I Guess the speed of light, really, the way the electrons are moving, and it's such a such a simple circuit that it's um, it's it's very 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 dynamic. So I think that's why some people still love those love old valve amps, and that's why we continue to try and innovate in them because. Um, it gives you something It still gives you something unique and special. We feel.
0: Now, I think you just touched on a couple things. First of all, yeah, I didn't. I you. I would think a high end digital product would be a faster response. But what you just said that that made me really think, and that that you explained so much about what a tube does in that in one sentence, and I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Um, one of yeah. the things that I think are important in that conversation is you toggled between solid state and digital. Now, regardless of the actual technology or the actual Mm. products, those Mm. solid state is a term that is almost archaic in itself Mm. because it became the interim between what was the past and whatever is the future. And then solid state just kind of, it is impersonal. It has no soul. Mm. It doesn't, right? Mm. And... Mm. Then digital is like almost so all encompassing that it mm. it's also doesn't have, you know, so guitar as musicians and guitar players, mm. we yeah. devour things that have quote unquote meaning or yeah. importance yeah, yeah. or yeah. magic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By nature, those two things do away with that completely. And but they're but there's still how we describe these things. So maybe maybe there's a new term that ends up coming out that that kind of de uh, uh, de stigmatizes
3: these terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I completely completely agree. And you're right because there is solid state isn't mystical, is it so- at <laughs> all? But oh, yeah. it, it, it it doesn't mean it can't sound really good, mm-hmm. you know. I and one thing's for sure, a well designed solid state amp will sound better than a badly designed valve amp, and that's that's just yeah. a fact. And then and then a well designed valve amp and a well designed solid state amp. Well, you know, it depends how much you understand about each of the technologies. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, I so um so for instance, in the amp product, I don't know we maybe don't want to move on to that. But I I think there's one thing to be said is that when you end up generating a noise at the end of all this, then, especially in the digital domain, it it has to kind of, I think, has to go through some solid state devices Mm -hmm. because you can't even a headphone amp is a solid state device. But then if you want to move a speaker, then it goes through a solid state amplifier usually. And even if you go, you have IRs, and you go through a PA, you're still going through a solid state device to get to move the air that you hear. If yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah. So it, unless you, which would be a bit weird, would and you could, but unless you use a valve PA, you tend to hear the sound on the stage coming through PA, which is a very very linear solid state amp. You know. So yeah. um, if you get what I mean? Yeah. So there's there's always some solid state stuff. In in most systems. For yeah. sure. Well, I, and I think maybe where the conversation
0: more so now than ever is mm. probably going to kind of fizzle away is that the need state for our uh, – uh, for the products that we use are hugely different than even 10 years ago. Yeah. So yeah. – smaller you know you're not playing monster amps on stage you ever like the idea that people are doing recording in their house well they need that you need to be accessible things are getting smaller and smaller or the needs are greater yeah it's just changed across the board so um i think some of the products that we're going to get into here in just a moment um are dealing with that square way which i think is really brilliant i did have um Two things. While we're still kind of talking about Black Star as a yeah, whole, yeah. and I, I, really appreciate <sighs> what, what everything you've said so far because I think it has done a great deal to lift a veil on w- what we know, at least here. Mm. Um, yeah. So, number one, uh, what do you think is the greatest challenge you're facing
3: now as Black Star? Oh, um, do you want me to be honest? To be honest, I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. To be honest, do you know what's really difficult is recruiting um, good engineers. Okay, That's really difficult. Yeah, so uh, please go to blackstaramps.com <laughs> forward slash forward slash recruitment jobs and join the band or something that it's called. Is there a uh, bulletin <laughs> board? At the, at yeah. there, there definitely is. And uh, to tell you the truth, I've. I've personally had a policy with, with my team, <laughs> engineering team. Mate, they can, we're always hiring because it's so difficult to get the right people. And the right people, when they come along for our business, make all the difference. You know, we've got, like I say, we've got between about 17 to 20 in, in R&D. And we've got maybe half a dozen, like, really skilled engineers, you know, design engineers because, mate, to be a design engineer and know what you're doing, it's four years at university, then I think it's a decade before you're actually a good design engineer. Mm-hmm. And um, there aren't many of them around. So I'd say that's probably the biggest, I'd say that's the biggest challenge that we have as a company. Um, the rest of it, I've got completely under control. Nothing to worry about.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. Do you believe good. me? Do you believe well, me? you're yeah. everywhere. So your marketing
1: department is definitely good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And the consistency uh, is right there. The quality is there. So, I well, mean, and, and based on
0: the people that we've already, you know, that, that set all this yeah. up, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's aces. Absolutely. Great. Great team. Great Absolutely. team. So, okay. Yeah. The last one, while we're in the black star world, uh, before we get into <laughs> products is, um, what uh, what are you most proud of uh,
3: of, of Black Star? Oh. Hey, do you want me to say personally for me? Um, I've met some. Well, I'll tell you what. Being here in being here in whatever, fifteen years after we started, when we couldn't give anybody to give us any money, and it was so difficult because. Because who wanted another guitar amp you know trying to get investors to to invest in us back in the day was bloody hard work. So to still be here after 15 years and to be a strong you know really strong business with a with a great honestly I had my uh, Christmas um, party was on Friday and there was 40 people so it was like maybe 30 plus partners of the team and the average age was kind of probably early thirties. So me and a few of the others were dragging that down really
0: badly, uh,
3: you know, and you know what? And they were just all getting on and they're all talking about music and they're all so into it, you know, and I I work, Uh I often leave the office at, you know, half five. So I get in eight, I leave the office at half five, six o'clock. So I've got young family trying to get home at some point. And I've got, you know, I've often got people working in the lab, working, And because they're just so passionate about what they do Mm -hmm. and we, we try and develop that team. So that's the other thing the the thing I'm proud of most is still to be here and for the team to be driving it forward, you know, and uh, being so, so into what they do. Cause that's what it's all about. That's awesome. I appreciate
0: you sharing that. I think it's, it's worth mentioning, even reminding our own selves here that, you know, I remember when we were talking with Strymon, they're like, guys we're not a big company we're like they're no. like six seven people and we're like yeah what yeah. <laughs> because I know you you think when you're looking at these things like this can't be made yeah. by yeah. six or seven people like the yeah. things that you're making are incredible
3: yeah mate and do you know so there's two bits to this right so i just something i'll be like totally open with you people don't know black star are so um and we don't manufacture in the uk so we manufacture in china um so I've I've had experience in manufacturing loads of places, um, including the UK because Marshall still got a factory in the UK. Mm-hmm. I was involved with that, so you know I've done the whole thing. But for us, we we really try and focus on what we're good at, and what we're good at is the design bit. That's our real passion: the sound, the branding, the design. That's what we love doing, and we could open a factory. But we couldn't do it any better than another factory down the road, right? So in terms of something that we can be truly world-class in, that's why we do the design. But then I think that people shouldn't underestimate or undervalue the fact that we invest a lot of money every month in designing guitar products. You know, more than, I think more than certainly any other UK brand, we in terms of design, we probably spend significantly more than any other brand on design, you know? So I think sometimes it's easy to knock Blackstar with a, oh, well, they're manufacturing China and they're this, that, and the other. Well, actually, the reason we do that is because we want to spend our time designing great guitar amps. And we know we can get, and again, this is heretic and it's not very magical, but we know we get amazing quality with our partners that we have in China. they they're the best, some of the best in the world, and whether it's China, you know, maybe in the future, maybe in the future we'll manufacture in the US. Who knows? Right. As long as we, as long as we get a consistently great product, we don't. Again, I wouldn't say we don't care, but it's less important to us it, than I than think doing it's less the product important to itself. the
0: audience too. I, I mean, I, honestly, I think that the that the guard of of where is kind of passed because it, it, people just want good stuff and. They, yeah. we I think we all realize, especially with you know, newer generations, that that the yeah. world is so much smaller of a place than it yeah, used to yeah. be, and it's you, you just yeah. that's just the way the wind is, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. hey everybody, it's Todd again. So remember at the beginning of the episode, I told you this was part one of two featuring Blackstar. We hope you enjoyed the interview that you heard already. Uh, we certainly did. I, hopefully, you can tell. We had a blast talking with Ian, and we learned just an absolute ton about this brand that uh, often goes maybe unappreciated. So hopefully you have a new enlightened uh, understanding of who Black Star is. In the next episode, we're going to talk about two of their really fantastic products that are uh, recently released. And very excited about those, so uh, be looking for that a, after this episode. Thanks a lot. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com/slash/theGuitarKnobs. Visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes, four on the floor blog, and other good stuff. You can connect with us on social too at our Facebook page and share your gear and stories on our Facebook group. Also, be sure
1: to check out our Instagram, at Guitar Knobs. Catch you next time.